Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God for our meditation is recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Fellow redeemed, do you ever wonder what will take place at the resurrection of the dead? Will all people rise together? Will those living on the earth at the last day meet Jesus before the others? Are you concerned with questions like these? In recent years, there has been an increased interest among many people concerning the events of the last day and the resurrection from the dead. There has been a series of fictional novels published speculating about the end times putting forth their writers' views of millennialism. Disaster films portray various doomsday scenarios. Questions concerning the last day and the resurrection of the dead are not new. Paul addresses our text to Christians living in Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago. They were specifically concerned about those who already had died and others who might die before Christ's return. They were under a misconception that those believers who died would miss out on Christ's return. In our text, Paul reassures these troubled Christians and us, take comfort in Christ's return. Christ's return relieves our sorrows, assures us of our resurrection, and means an eternity with the Lord. First, Christ's return relieves our sorrows. Our text begins, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Death is a mysterious thing to us. There is much about the state of the dead and the life after death, that we're still in the dark about. Yet there are some things concerning those, especially who die in the Lord, that we need not and ought not be ignorant of. If these things are really understood and considered, they are sufficient to relieve our sorrow. Instruction is offered in our text to keep us from grieving over believers' deaths as the rest grieve who have no hope. Who are the rest? In the verse before our text, they are called those outside. These are unbelievers. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul likewise says that before being brought to faith at that time, you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, to know Christ is to know hope, but without Christ, there is no hope. How was the Thessalonican sorrow like that of unbelievers? 
The church at Thessalonica was comprised of new Christians, mostly converts from paganism. They were constantly looking for the coming of Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. But they thought this deliverance was only for believers who were still alive at Jesus' second coming. Since they failed to see that Jesus' deliverance was for dead believers as well, they grieved without hope for dead believers. In their weak faith, they did not realize the great extent of the one genuine hope in Christ. Their grief became dangerously close to that of pagans. What about our sorrow? In a world filled with all sorts of doubt about death, about what happens to the body and soul after death, it is understandable that hopelessness and insecurity mark people's attitudes toward the deaths of those dear to them. Even God's people are not unaffected by these attitudes of a world lost in sin. Our faith does not stifle and eradicate our natural affections. Jesus himself wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. But even in this opening verse, the apostle brings out two points that show the big difference between the sorrow of Christians and that of unbelievers. In the first place, when Christians die, they fall asleep in the Lord Jesus. Their death is like a gentle sleep from which there will be a glorious awakening. Secondly, there is only one hope for those who die, the hope based on the sure promises of God in Christ. All who do not have this hope are without hope. Whatever they may think of death in the hereafter, whatever hope or hopes they may manufacture for themselves. To experience hope in the midst of grief, believe in the living Jesus. When Jesus' good friend Lazarus died and his sisters were grief-stricken, Jesus turned their attention toward himself. He said, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The resurrection and the second coming of Christ are a great antidote against the fear of death and excessive sorrow over the death of our Christian friends and family members. Because Jesus rose again from death, we have the full assurance that all who believe in him too shall rise on the last day. Christ's resurrection assures us of our resurrection. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. When the last day comes and Christ returns, there will still be some believers living on earth, but these believers will have no advantage over those who fall asleep in Jesus. To the Christian, the word asleep is not a mere euphemism referring to death. Behind the Christian's use of the word asleep lies all the Christian knowledge of the saving facts, which actually makes death a mere sleep. To fall asleep implies our awakening in the blessed resurrection, but it is the body of the believer that sleeps, not the soul. There is no intermediate place between heaven and hell. In no sense do the souls of the dead ever sleep. As Jesus told the penitent thief on the cross, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In Acts 7, regarding Christ's death, the scriptures say that he fell asleep. His death was a real death, a full payment for all the guilt of our sins. 
with our sins paid for by Christ's death, our death is then a sweet sleep. The power of Jesus' death and resurrection in our lives does not stop when we fall asleep in death, but its power will show itself in all its glory at his coming on the last day. The events of the last day are described in our text. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The word Lord identifies Jesus as the true God and Savior, who at his coming will receive all his own unto himself. The voice of an archangel will be that of Michael, the only archangel mentioned in scripture. At the sounding of the trumpet by the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise. Their bodies will come out of their graves to join our souls, which will already be with the Lord in heaven. Christ's return is a comfort to us, thirdly, because for us believers it means an eternity with the Lord, as our text describes. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Caught up together does not mean snatched up into heaven in any sort of secret way prior to the last day, with unbelievers left behind. Rather, on the last day the Lord will descend to the earth, where the judgment shall take place. The living believers will meet the Lord in welcome, and will descend with him and his angels to the earth for the purpose of judgment. Whenever some important dignitary arrives in our country, a grand welcoming party goes out to meet him. That will be the scene when our Lord comes in the clouds of heaven. Believers will meet their Lord in the air to in welcome and join his triumphal descent. When that happens, they will be in the presence of the God who made them and redeemed them for himself. Right now, our sinfulness prevents us from seeing God as he really is. Moses once requested to see God face to face. But God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. When Christ returns as the victorious conqueror of death and hell, appearing on the clouds of heaven, and his triumphant shout reaches the dead in their graves, believers will come forth to be transformed and receive glorified bodies. As John describes, when he appears, we will be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Almost two millennia have passed since the Holy Spirit caused Paul to write the words of our text. Has our expectation of the last day dulled? There is there was keen expectation of Christ's return at Paul's time, so also at the time of Luther. In our own time, many people wonder if disaster is looming and if we should prepare ourselves for the imminent return of Christ. Jesus has given us the answer. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Lord has told us to be prepared as servants await the return of their master. Are we looking forward to that beautiful moment with eagerness and joyful anticipation when we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and meet the Lord in the air? Or do we lack enthusiasm to meet him because of our conduct and word and action is not quite in keeping with the expectations of our coming king? Like Adam and Eve, are we more afraid and concerned about hiding than running out to greet him with an enthusiastic welcome?
On a college campus, I once saw a t-shirt that stated, Jesus is coming, look busy. When our desire to meet him is less than fervent, let us remember who it is that we will meet. It is Jesus through whom God has put away our sin and declared us fit to meet him. We're going to meet a judge, but one who is loving, merciful, and faithful. The words of our text were written to relieve our sorrows, to assure of us of our resurrection, and that we'll spend an eternity with the Lord. When doubts and fears set in concerning the last day, may we follow the closing exhortation of our text and comfort each other with these words. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, by your Son you have promised us forgiveness of sins and deliverance from everlasting death. Strengthen us, we beseech you by your Holy Spirit, that our trust in your grace in Christ Jesus may daily increase, and that with sure confidence we may hold fast the blessed hope that we shall not die but only sleep, and at the last day be raised up unto everlasting life through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Those dear souls can still talk.